inside your head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Christina Elizabeth Smith. It's very cool to have you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So uh, I have sunshine in my head at the moment. But um, so uh, you're, you've been added to NCIS New Orleans. Uh, what's that been like to join, you know, a show that, that's been around, has, is, you know, so popular, has an exist, existing cast? Uh, it's been amazing. It's been a complete gift. Uh, these guys are obviously complete pros. I mean, Scott Bakula is amazing. I've followed his career career forever. So it's just great to watch all these guys work. The, everybody behind the scenes is amazing. It's just you get on set and immediately feel like part of the family. And uh, it's been the greatest learning experience and really fun. And they move at a really fast pace. But I've loved every moment of it. So I'm just excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Can you tell us about your character? Yeah. So um, I play a character called Ginny Young. She is Pride's new assistant. So Pride goes to a new office, the SAC office, and he has obviously a new assistant, and that's where he meets me. And so they slowly roll out my character. Um, I'm in. I start in episode five hundred three, which is season five, episode three. They introduced me, and then I was in this uh, this week's episode as well. So I'm just, you know, I'm also in criminology school, so I'm st- studying that on the side as well. And he kind of finds out that about me and uh, I think that kind of creates a rapport because it reminds him of being in school so yeah Jenny's just a young go-getter very serious way more serious than I am (laughs) she is a yeah she's a hard-working girl so it's been really fun and I'm excited to um I have an episode coming up at the end of the month where a lot of really exciting things happen so Mm. I'll be happy when that happens and I can talk about all that (laughs) yeah are there any similarities uh, between you and the character? That's a great question. I think anytime I play a character, at least, you know, you, it's not like I am Ginny, but you have to find the Ginny that exists, like, inside. Like, there's a Ginny inside of me, someone that's very disciplined and, and wants to be, um, you know, competitive and taken very, very seriously and... Um, almost like stoic in a way. So there's definitely a Ginny inside of me, but I'm, I'm definitely um, in my regular life uh, a lot more free and probably <laughs> a lot less structured than Ginny. I think, um, you know, she's brave working at this, um, at the SAC office because it's so disciplined and so fast paced. And then going to night school, I think that takes a, a really special person. So, you know, I learn a lot from her in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you watched the show before uh, you joined it? Um, I had, not religiously, not every week, but I, I caught a lot of procedurals, especially with my mom. My mom loves procedural television, so mm-hmm. anytime I'm with her, um, I would definitely catch up on these shows uh, because I've been moving a lot, so I haven't like set up cable anywhere. I haven't been able to um, really dive in week to week, but you know, I've always been familiar with the characters, which I try and do with a lot of the, you know, primetime network shows at least have a familiarity mm-hmm. with the characters in the shows and what's going on. So yeah. And again, with Scott Bakula and, and the amazing cast, I, you know, have been following that. So to get to be on set has been pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom's a huge fan of uh, not only that show, but all, all those kind of shows, all the procedurals. Yeah. They're fun and you can pop in and out of them at any time. You know, each one has sort of its own, 
mm-hmm. arc each episode, but then they have the overarching things that are happening throughout the season. So, you know, they're great that way. You can kind of, you know, I always advocate, of course, when I'm on a show, I'm like, watch all of them, like support these amazing <laughs> people. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, that is a cool thing that you can kind of pop in and out. Yeah, and, which is unusual because it used to be all shows were like that, but it seems in the last 10 years or so, most shows are an ongoing story where you can't just, you know, I'm going to start watching in season two, episode five or something, because you won't know what's going on. Yeah, you'll have no idea. So <laughs> so I also saw that uh, you were in Psychopaths, which I actually uh, interviewed Nikki Keating when uh, that movie came out. So how, how did you get involved oh, in Psychopaths? Awesome. Yeah, he's very cool. I... He is very cool. I actually knew Mickey from another project I did with um, Mike Williamson directed it. Um, Alan Ruck was in it. It was called Deathly. I'd worked with uh, Mike Williamson previously on a couple different projects, uh, namely a Hulu series that we did years ago. And he called me in for this project. And I, Mickey was actually in it because they're just buddies. You know, they're, hor- mm-hmm. they're both in the horror world and really great guys. And um, I met Mickey on that set. And he's like, he just called me um, a while while later, and he's like, "Hey, I'm doing this movie. Do you want to be a part?" And I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, and went in, and it was it was a very fun process. And then that movie actually ended up playing at Tribeca, which was so cool. And and Mickey is just, you know, uh, he's exploded in the horror world. Like he's doing yeah. so great and extremely easy to work for. Like he's a very great director, so I can kind of understand why he's doing so well right now. Were you in Tribeca when it screened? No, I was, um, I think I was still in LA when that screened in Tribeca and I just had too much going on, which I kind of always, every time I miss an opportunity like that, I'm like, Oh, I should have gone in retrospect. So I'm trying to like learn from those mistakes, but I yeah. just had too much going on at the time and couldn't get out to Tribeca. So mm-hmm. next time I won't make that mistake, but right. you know, we're always trying to balance that, that work and play. And yeah. it feels like once you do a project, you're like, well, I've done it. So now I need to move on to the next thing. But you got to stop and sometimes celebrate what you've done, you know? Mm-hmm. Plus, I would assume, like, especially for a movie, shows are probably like, uh, I assume, like maybe a month or two after you film it. But uh, so a lot of movies sometimes don't come out for like a year or two after, you, after you're, you're done filming it. Yeah, the process is so much longer for movies. So you're, you're in a completely different place. Um, and a lot of times I find like I'm a different artist by the time the movie comes out or, you know, or I feel like I look different and all these things. So you go back and watch a movie you did a year ago and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's where I was a year ago. It's so, yeah. which probably is it's something only you see, but uh-huh. it's, it's so funny that turnover is so much slower with film. Yeah. When you watch something you're in, do you see it, uh, for the movie or, or do you kind of remember more of like the memories of making it? I think there is, there's always going to be an analytical part of your, like your brain that's going to kick in to be like, okay, what am I doing this that I like? What am I doing that I would want to change? You know, how did they edit it together? Cause you lose a lot of, you know, obviously creative control in, in the editing process and the post process. So there is that part of the brain that's like, Oh, that's interesting. That choice is interesting that they made. Um, but at the same time, you want to sit there and absorb the story and see how the story comes together and celebrate all the people that were involved. So it's, again, the control of the brain kind of thing. You're like, wait a minute, I'm still watching a story. I'm here to celebrate that. And um, mm-hmm. I have to not get too analytical about it. Yeah. All the things I would do differently because it just doesn't work that way. 
psychopaths is really stylized, you know, visually. So uh, what was it like when you saw the finished project and how different was it to what you expected it to be? I just thought, I mean, I was just really impressed again with Mickey's creativity and um, the way he brings things together. And when we were shooting it, it was very, um, he let me have so much creative like control over what I was doing with my character. He was just like, this is the structure, just kind of go and I'm going to get all of these, you know, moments. And then to see the moments that he got on film and how stylized it was, I was like, wow, I did not know that that would be the end product. So it's just, he always impresses me and uh, brings something new and especially new to the horror world. So it was just exciting, exciting to be a part of. And um, he always had such amazing things to say. So it's just really cool to see his creativity. Are you a horror movie fan? I... Am and not, I go in and out. Like it's it's hard for me to watch horror because I get I have such an active imagination that right. once images are are implanted in my brain, then it's hard to get them out because that's sort of how I act as well. Like I create the images of the story, and then you know it's easier for me to remember lines because I see lines as images of of what's going on. So once I get latched onto some imagery, like it's hard for me to get rid of that. So I have to uh-huh. be more careful with horror because I just have that sensitivity where it will, you know, if it, especially if it feels really real, you know, mm-hmm. if it feels like, Oh, this could actually happen. Then I get extra weirded out. If I can rationalize of like, Oh, that probably is something that's too supernatural wouldn't happen. Then I can kind of watch it. Uh-huh. But the stuff that's like closer to reality, that really gets me. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that help in your acting then to have that imagination, uh, especially the horror movie? Because then you could uh, maybe you're not acting scared. You are scared. I think definitely. I mean, it's such a, a blessing as long as I can like control my imagination in my everyday <laughs> right. life. Because I think uh-huh. we all do that. We all write the stories of our life before we actually observe our life, you know, Um so we have all these stories that we're writing in our head all the time, and that can kind of put us ahead of what is actually happening in our life. So I have to find a way to manage my imagination where it's like, okay, this is a great moment to imagine and create. And I do that through my art. But then in my personal life and in my day to day, it's like, okay, don't write all these stories in your head, you know, <laughs> just take moment to moment and see what is actually going on and absorb uh-huh. that. So an active imagination can be a double edged sword. Yeah. Have you always had that or is it something you discovered uh, when you uh, pursued acting? I've always had it. I've always been, you know, like I was a highly sensitive child and um, just always felt everything. And I think, uh, you know, that was always reflected back to me by, you know, my older siblings and, and my parents never in like, I mean, my older siblings would tease me, but it was always through love. And so I always knew I had a heightened level of sensitivity. And I think for a long time, I tried to shut that down. Like there was some shame in that, like being sensitive to the world uh, was not a good thing. And then I realized that it it was a blessing to being an artist, but I have to learn how to, you know, harness it and and use it for good and and where it belongs and where it doesn't belong. So Mm -hmm. that's been a training of my whole life. Mm -hmm. When did you pursue acting? Was it something you always wanted to do? Uh, well, I was a, I was a competitive dancer. So that kind of, 
I was doing that from like nine to 16, 17 years old. And that kind of lent itself to um, pushing me into performance. And then I realized I just wanted more. I wanted words. I wanted to be able to um, have a farther reach. And that kind of got me curious in acting. And my sister was in, you know, in college and taking a bunch of theater courses. So I stole her theater books and started reading a bunch of Uta Hagen and a bunch of these other things. And I just feel like I, at that moment, found um, what I was looking for. It had, you know, I could still use the elements of, of dance, but I would get more through language and through words. And that's kind of when I fell in love with acting and started to study as much as I could. And the goal became to, you know, move to LA as soon as possible. So it was pretty early on. It's probably 18, 19, I decided that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So when you moved to LA, um, was it difficult at first to, to get into acting or did you, uh, find yourself getting roles right away? Oh, I think it's, it's from, from my path, it was definitely difficult. It was, um, one of those things where you don't want to know the future cause then you won't move towards the future kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there was definite difficulty. Um, and I just took it step by step and the main goal became, get as good as possible, like get as much training as possible and learn as much as I could. So finding the schools where the working actors were and, and what were those places and, you know, picking a lot of people's brains that I would just meet along the way and be like, where did you study? And so study became a really huge part um, and still is a huge part of, of my career. And so, yeah, it took a long time and to get in front of the right people and get it, you know, a solid agent. And it was definitely very difficult uh, for me, mm-hmm. but there was just no question of ever giving up or, you know, I'd have moments of discouragement for sure. But you just, you know, put your head down and fall back on the craft and know that, you know, if you're determined, the doors are going to open up when they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Now, when you work with like veteran actors, like, like on NCIS, Scott Bakula, uh, do you find that that's, uh, that helps you become a better actor? Absolutely. I think it's the kind of thing of like, you are the culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. So being around that energy and kind of seeing the trust they have in their own art and how they work and how they work related to the way that you do and, that we're all just trying to get to the end result, which is serving this story that we've been given. So it, it brings almost like a peace to me when I'm around, um, you know, I got to work with Gina Davis on Grey's Anatomy and, and seeing how different she works from me, but how it works so well together. And, you know, sort of, it doesn't matter how you get there, but if you're all willing to work together and be kind, you can get to an amazing end result. And, that's where I find I'm learning the most right now is by being on set, being thrown into it and really learning that, you know, I have all of those tools. I just have to trust my art and what I want to say. So then hierarchy kind of disappears because you realize we're all trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you don't get wrapped in your head around, Oh, they have a higher status than me. It's just, that's an idea. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I watched your uh, your short pretext uh, earlier. Um, can you tell people what that's about who who aren't familiar? Absolutely. Um, 
kind of make a long story short, pretext is about um, a real thing that happens in um, rape investigations uh, called a pretext call where victims of rape, sexual assault are asked to call the person that allegedly assaulted them. And they're calling the person um, while being monitored by a detective. And this detective is listening to the phone call, recording the phone call, and also telling the victim what to say. So the idea is that you're coaxing the um, alleged rapist into confessing. But the problem is a lot of that is um, kind of getting the victim to say that they enjoyed what happened is one way of, of doing that. And, and in making pretext, the main goal was just bringing to light that this thing exists and questioning, does it re-traumatize the victim? Is it actually leading to good? Because most of the times these tapes are not admissible in court. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we just wanted to kind of shine a light on, on this thing that um, is traumatizing to the mm-hmm. women that, you know, have gone through it that I've talked to. Well, what was the inspiration to, uh, to do this story? Was it anything personal to you or someone you knew or something maybe you read about? I mean, I think rape is personal to every woman, uh, especially, I mean, I think hopefully to everybody, but, um, I'm a woman. And so I come from the woman's perspective of the statistics and uh, all of my friends. And I think this came over, um, a conversation, uh, just talking about statistics with my friend and I brought up that this thing existed and he had no idea. He's like, I had no idea this was even a thing. And I think that that's what makes me frustrated about the, um, you know, we complain so often that people don't report this kind mm-hmm. of violence, but then what victims are asked to go through after they report it is, is so traumatizing that they're like, I just, they'll give up throughout the different parts of the process, different parts of the investigation, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think we see so often in, you know, television and movies, like someone's a victim and then they report it and then they're wrapped in a blanket and then they catch the bad guy and they go to court and the victim cries and then the bad guy goes to jail. And unfortunately that's just not our system. And so just over discussing that and talking to girlfriends, like I think you just, open your eyes to how many people have gone through something similar to this. And uh, just as being a woman, I'm just like, I just want to shine light on how we can change any aspect of this process and mm-hmm. make it maybe a little easier, or more comforting for victims. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful. So a um, couple things there. Uh, what was it like to perform, uh, you know, as, as, as this person? Um, in a lot of ways it, it was liberating because you're, you're fighting for something. I think those are always my favorite stories to tell. Um, when you know they're grounded so much, which that's my goal. Every time I tell a story is to, to know that yes, we're playing make believe, but at the same time, someone's going to watch this and they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, that happened to me. Maybe mm-hmm. the words aren't exactly the same, but we are mirrors for society. And so coming from that place, it was very liberating to feel like maybe I'm being a mirror for somebody. And, um, so it's, it's exhausting and it's traumatizing, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's really liberating, um, to, 
talk about something that people aren't willing to talk about. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I was definitely tired at the end of that shoot day, but um, excited at the same time. And uh, something I don't think I've ever seen in uh, any other uh, movie story, anything was uh, the side of the detective and how that affects him. Cause you see him at home. I don't get yeah. away, but you know, that it, it's not something that he enjoys doing. And that was something that was really, really important to me. I have a lot of um, military cop family. And uh, I also know, you know, have talked to cops and, and no detectives. And, and it was really important for me to not make them look like the bad guys, to not denigrate them in any way, but to say these are humans coming together and it's the system that's failing them. It's the system that's failing both of these people. And so to shine a light on the detective in a way of like, it's hurting him too, you know, and that's why it was important to, you know, have his daughter in it even for a second and just show that it's the system. It's the way we've set up that. It's not that these detectives and these cops are bad guys, you know, cause I think ultimately no one is, is purely bad. They're just trying to do the best they can, you know, and that's the humanist mm-hmm. outlook is that we're all trying to do the best that we can with, you know, limited means. So that was really, really important to not make him a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, what did you do with pretext? Did it, did it play at uh, festivals? Uh, we submitted it to a lot of festivals, but I, our main goal was to just get it out there and, and mm-hmm. get it to as many people as possible. So we just did a lot of um, admin as far as sending it out ourselves because it was never about making money through pretext. It was just like getting it out there. So we, you, we took the risk of uploading it um, to YouTube and sharing it immediately that way as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, with festivals, you have to keep it a secret for a year. And, and that was not the goal. The goal was to just be like, watch this. This is a thing that happened. And mm-hmm. since then, there's kind of been a ripple effect of, you know, before pretext, um, you could kind of look up pretext calls. You get some, you get some actual like police documentation. Cause I was doing that when I was writing it, but there were no videos about it. There were no other short films about it. And since pretext, um, there's been other people that have made short films about it. Other people that are talking about it. There's now like online little stream blogs about where people are talking about their own pretext calls. So, you know, again, that could be a coincidence, but I like to, you know, credit it to like getting that ball rolling kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, What, what was uh, the response uh, for pretext? Did you get people emailing you? Yeah, I got some personal emails that were really, um, um, you know, there's tear jerkers of people being like, thank you for talking about this. This happened to me. A lot of people would emotionally open up, you know, um, about their own experiences with the system. And if they did report their, you know, their rape or if they didn't and people, you know, were just appreciative of, um, talking about I even got responses from cops being like you know thank you for representing um us in this way so there was a lot um of positive responses I never got any that I can remember I never got any negative responses from it some people I think it makes people very uncomfortable and I think that was the point like make Mm -hmm. people as uncomfortable as possible it wasn't like you're going to sit there and feel cozy at the end of watching it um Mm -hmm. but 
so that I think there sometimes you would watch people watch it because we did screen a couple places around Hollywood and you would watch people watch it and they just not quite know how to behave afterwards and that's just because we're asking them to think and talk about something that I don't think we think or talk about enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was interesting to see everybody's different response, but I think positive all around. Uh, would you like to, to create um, either more shorts or features or anything, either writing or directing? Absolutely. I actually uh, recently finished the pilot, and that would be the um, – I finished it like three days ago. And so I need to do a couple of edit sweeps on it. And I think I also coach um, actors and put them on tape uh, in Louisiana while I'm here. And a lot of them have reflected back to me like, Oh, you should direct. And, and that's been a funny, like funny feedback to get. So that would be something I would explore later on, but definitely um, writing is something that I've done for years and years and will probably always do. Mm-hmm. So the writing aspect is a hundred percent. And then the directing is something that's been swimming around in my head that I'll probably experiment with one day. I just don't know what that looks like yet. Yeah. Can you say anything about the pilot? Um, I can say a little bit. Right. Um, it's, a, it's just pretty much a, um, you know, a messed up, which all family is, you know, it's uh-huh. on version of messed up, but a messed up family that has a, all gone away from home and, and then they're forced to come back home and, and, and face their own life. It's sort of, you know, they're all going through their own, you know, Joseph Campbell hero's journey thing and how coming back home, you know, brings that out of everyone. So then they reevaluate, reevaluate all their lives. So that's pretty much it. It's just a really creating really, really strong characters. So I'm excited to see where that goes as well. With, um, with like so many of the streaming sites having, you know, original uh, content like Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, and even stuff like YouTube, RedTube, uh, how does that affect uh, uh, your career? Uh, it's interesting because they all, um, I mean, for me, it's exciting because it's more opportunity to be a mm-hmm. part of something. So, you know, there's different different areas of thought about that because it's like, Oh, well, some of them pay less and some of them, you know, but for me, I'm like, if, if we're putting content out there, as long as you're making it so, you know, we aren't starving as artists and you're, and you're taking care of us. And I'm really strong. I'm a really strong advocate for the union. So as long as you're doing projects that are, you know, SAG after and staying under union standards, then, um, I celebrate it. I, I celebrate, um, the more projects, the better, the more that's going towards the union, the better. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much my take on it. Mm-hmm. More you mentioned, uh, yeah, you just mentioned being in Louisiana. So do they, do they film, uh, NCIS New Orleans in New Orleans? Yes, they do. All of it. Okay. Yeah, they're very, they're very supportive of the community, love the community, get back to the community. So all of it's done here. The main studio is here. And then they do a lot of really fun shoots on location. It really, you know, because it's New Orleans. So there's a lot of really exciting places to shoot. But yeah, all of it's done here. Post is done here. Um, I have ADR tomorrow and that's all done here. So yeah, they're very, very loyal to New Orleans. Yeah. What's New Orleans like? It is a different country. It's like uh-huh. living in a different country. You know, I was in L.A. for 10 years and, and being in New Orleans, it, you know, grew up in Nashville, was in L.A. for 10 years and then came down here. And it's just like nothing else. You know, um, it is 
time is a really weird concept in New Orleans. Like, I feel like my days are way longer and uh-huh. I can get a lot more done, but I never feel really frazzled because everybody just um, obviously moves a lot slower here. You know, mm-hmm. they're not, there's not a frantic energy here. So it's, it's weird. It's like, it, you know, technically the city is underwater. It's like a bowl. And that's sometimes what it feels like. It feels like, um, <laughs> feels like everything's kind of underwater like just slower Uh moving and calm and um it's just its own kind of country it feels more european than anything else it does not feel like an american city it feels like a european city yeah i've never been in new orleans uh how's the food in new orleans that's what i'd like to go for the food in the maybe adult i mean it's great it's great, and there's adult beverages everywhere, <laughs> and people are drinking. It's acceptable to have them at all times. Um, <laughs> yeah, the food's amazing. I have a couple of little favorite spots out here that I always take people that come in from out of town if they want, like, really authentic food. And, you know, you get to know the owners super f- quickly because everybody is so friendly, and, you know, they recognize a new face. So, yeah, the food is like, because I grew up in the South, but this is a different kind of southern food you know right. the southern creole kind of life so i've loved exploring that i can't eat every eat it every day but mm-hmm. i've loved <laughs> you know being and absorbing that different kind of culture yeah yeah so whenever i go any place even if it's for a festival convention i like to to go around and, and try the local food instead of going to a yeah, chain restaurant smart. Where, yeah yeah so, so i read that uh you had um were you with the groundlings yeah, I did. Um, I so I did Groundlings, UCB, and Improv Olympic out in LA. Uh-huh. I just wanted to do them all, and I loved it. I did years and years of improv comedy, and it's uh, given me so much. It's given me a huge community. It's given me a great foundation for, you know, obviously timing and comedic timing, and uh, it was it was great. It was years of my life was studying comedy i was doing drama as well um, Mm -hmm. in different schools but yeah i wanted to tackle all of them i guess (laughs) does does the improv also help in dramatic acting yeah everything helps everything so anytime you're Mm -hmm. creating something um it's going to help create something else so and the thing with improv that you absolutely have to do is listen you can't be um just thinking about yourself or lost in your own head or skipping on to the next thing in improv or you're going to miss the opportunity to create the funny or the joke or latch on to the next thing that your partner says. So it forces you to be very, very present, which I think is so important for an actor. Um, And it's hard because our society is not really doing that now. We're not, we're not extremely present. So I think it's especially important for actors to have that muscle and, and whatever's going to, really get that in your head and i think improv does that like you do a bad improv show and you you can always trace it back to you just weren't listening you like you Mm -hmm. were not present the entire time or you would have caught this nugget and run with that so i think that is going to bleed into every aspect of of art and and uh, really your life Mm -hmm. Uh, have you done much uh, comedic acting like uh, something people could watch uh, yeah, that Hulu series that I did years ago. Um, I've also worked a lot with the Jimmy Kimmel guys. So I've oh, done yeah. um, sketches sketches with them. I did it, you know, Cousin Sal had a spinoff like football series. I did a bunch of comedy mm-hmm. for that. 
Um, I've worked with All Deaf Digital a lot and Break Media, which are large, like online. They create a lot of comedy content. So I've done a ton of sketches for them, which has been so fun. Um, so yeah, I've done a, a bunch of comedy. Most a lot of that stuff on IMDb, but um, again, like Break Media and All Deaf Digital, those are those big comedy um, websites. So I've got stuff floating around all over there. Yeah, actually, so, before yeah, you, I, I did. Comedy. Yeah, I did find so it was uh, Killer Sisters Midnight Hour. I was watching the earlier before the yeah, interview. Yeah, that was years and years and years ago. We did that, um, but that was Mike Williamson who did Deathly with Alan Rock, and um, I've known him for years. He's a great guy, but uh, yeah, that was comedy. So yeah, I've I've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Do you have a preference, or do you just like creating? I just like creating. Um, it's so hard. I mean, I think I would end up, you know, my goal is to end up in, in, in film really. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, the reach of film, um, and how long you get to work on a character, which I guess you get that in episodic television. It's just, it's a different beast. Mm-hmm. So I think I like the intimacy of drama, um, and how you get to, it feels like you get to touch on, um, real life and real stories and, and tell someone's real story. But, um, comedy is one of those things that I think the world needs because we have so much going on that is so negative. And when we get mm-hmm. to like sit down and, and watch a sitcom, we get to escape and, and, and that we need that. It's so important to yeah. make people laugh. So I kind of let it, you know, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may sort of thing. Yeah. You say that though, there's not really a lot of sitcoms uh, around anymore. When I was growing up, you know, it was, that was like uh, the main thing on television. I guess they've been kind of making a comeback lately, though. Yeah, there used to be a ton, and now I feel like, um, yeah, it's shifting away, and there's a lot of, like, really, really long-lasting, dramatic TV shows, so yeah. Yeah, it used who knows, to be, but yeah. Seems like every, like, which I, I like, like, they get the hero, but it seems like, uh, like, for, like, especially, like, uh, basic cable shows, like, that's all that there is. You know, everyone's, uh, you know, like Breaking Bad was on, Sons of Anarchy, all these shit. You know, it's all like this, you know, kind of a, a shady guy is like the main character and everything. Yeah. Instead of like, Which instead of that be, being, yeah. yeah, instead of that being the minority, that's like, it's a minority that it's like, like a, just a regular, like good person. Yeah. I don't know. That must just be what the world wants to see right now. So <laughs> there's definitely a ton of that. Yeah. So, uh, what are you working on? Well, you've got a lot of stuff, uh, working on right now. Anything you didn't well, talk about? Mostly, no, I don't think so. I think it's been mostly just focusing on NCIS and being so grateful for that. And then, um, projects as they come through Louisiana, we've been really lucky. Um, Louisiana is, the market has been really picking up here. So I've just, um, been really lucky to have some, some great reps getting me in for some really exciting things. So, we're just going to see where this uh, crazy ride down in the, you know, down the swamp. <laughs> yeah. <takes me. laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, I appreciate coming on. And uh, actually, how could people follow you, you know, online, not like a, not in New Orleans or your house or anything? Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably don't do that. Um, sure. I uh, primarily Instagram. I don't really use any other social media. I could say that I do, but it would be a lie. Um, my Instagram is just Christina Elizabeth Smith is my handle. That's pretty easy. Uh, yeah, I don't really use any other social media. I can't keep up with it. So that's yeah. the best way to follow me. I post fun stuff about NCIS and stupid stuff about my dogs. So 
That's pretty much <laughs> That's the extent cool. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back yeah. to what you're saying, being uh, improv, you know, kept you focused. And if you have, you have, if you have yeah. all the social media sites, you can't, you can't say very focused on anything. Yeah, I can. I, you know, one is enough. One is enough. Someone asked me about my Twitter like yesterday and I'm like, I gave them my handle and they're like, that's the worst handle possible. I'm like, I know I've used it once in like the last five years. So uh-huh. it's just, it's just, I don't, I don't keep up with it too yeah. much for me. So yeah, yeah the Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. I just like, yeah, no. All right. Very cool. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for all your great questions and you have a great one. Thank you. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Time drop